Two weeks ago, we finished in Jeremiah chapter 7 through verse 15. And the last thing we ended off with was Jeremiah, God speaking through him. Remember, he's at the temple, he's at the gate, giving the people a history lesson as the Lord tells him to remind the people of Shiloh and what took place there. And we spent some time two weeks ago talking about that. And we're going to start off in verse 16 last night, which is pretty interesting because it's about prayer. And he's going to tell Jeremiah, don't pray for these people. We'll talk about why in a few moments. Quick update. And, uh, you know, Shane is doing better every day. And so we're thankful that, again, the family could be here. And I know that uh, Denise and Alvaro and Vanessa and Delena have all been updating people over and over again. But it's a process, but it's getting better day by day. Uh, we found out Sunday after services that Frank Rhodes, uh, his nephew, had died suddenly. And that was quite a shock to him and the family. So I want to keep them in our prayers as well. So before we begin tonight, I'm, I'm going to lead us a word of prayer. Please bow your heads. Lord, our merciful and gracious Heavenly Father, we humbly bow before you now, giving thanks for your Son, who died on the cross for our sins and was resurrected as the perfect sacrifice that we could have hope of eternal life. As we come together, we pray that we would heed the words that are revealed in your will, that we put ourselves in the context and place of your people, that we would be thankful for men like Jeremiah, who even at this young age, at this point that we study, was willing to proclaim your word, even though the consequences were great, and the pressure was strong. We pray that we put ourselves in the shoes of those people who are hearing the message. And we pray that we recognize whether it was thousands of years ago or today, that you clearly revealed your mind to us and that we'd have the humility and spirit to listen to your will and more importantly, to apply those things. We take this time, Lord, to express our gratitude for the recovery of Brother Shane we continue to pray fervently for him and his condition and his family. And we're so thankful that the surgeries have been successful. And we're thankful that the ventilator was removed and he could communicate with his family on a limited basis. We pray for him to be healed continually by you. We know that you're our creator and you have the power to do anything. We pray for the Rhodes family and their great and sudden loss. We pray that we can support Brother Frank and Sister Janine and family at this time. Please be with us tonight as we go through your will. Be with all the other Bible class teachers and the kids. As we recognize, Lord, that in this chapter we're reading, we're seeing how children were cast aside and sacrificed to false gods. We pray that we would teach our children to have a relationship with you, that they may be protected from the idol worship of the world and the fire of the philosophy of men which leads to destruction we pray these things in Jesus name Amen Jeremiah chapter 7 starting verse 16 therefore do not pray for this people nor lift up a cry or prayer for them nor make intercession to me for I will not hear you wow that's a powerful statement and you know people will latch on to that and say what kind of god is this this 
This can't be a loving God to say something like that. We have to read and put in context what's going on here. And that these are people that are willing to sacrifice their own children to a false God to put them to death. That's what was going on. We've read throughout Jeremiah and we read through Isaiah, which occurred obviously a century before this. And we see the pattern repeating itself over and over again. So one of the things I've thought about with Brother Shane is the need for me to be right with God. So my prayer is heard because we know that the prayer of a righteous man availeth much, it's effective. And so I was thinking about, could I hinder my ability to petition God because of my own behavior or what I'm doing? And here, the prophets being told, don't pray for them. We know that the prophets and the people that uh, represent God have a tendency to want to obviously save their people and, and intercede for them. But in this case, God's telling them not to. And remember that the context here is what? What has God promised is going to happen to this people, to Judah, to Jerusalem, because of their continual sin? The captivity, the Babylonian captivity. So in that context, there's no prayer or nothing that can be done at this point to avoid that punishment. Now, it doesn't mean that people didn't have the right to turn, but again, there's consequences to sin. And we can repent, and the Lord's willing to forgive us, but we know in our life, if, you know, for example, if I've used alcohol for years, there's consequences to that. And you can turn your life around, you can do the best you can, but you still have to pay the price for what you've done. Then it says verse 17, Do you not see what they do in the cities of Judah and in the streets of Jerusalem? So, so the behaviors that we're talking about, were these things that could be visibly seen by everyone? You know, it, so it's one thing to commit sin and secret and no one knows about it, but it takes quite a bit of uh, arrogance to do it openly and the influence it's going to have, not only on God's people, but on the other nations, right? We know of all the interactions that have taken place. And remember, just like Shiloh, what happened there, what other example did the people of Judah and Jerusalem have which would tell them that God was going to fulfill punishment if they didn't change. What fell before them? The northern kingdom, right? The Assyrians. So again, they had, and then you could go back to all the examples before in history that have taken place. Verse 18. The children gather wood, the fathers kindle the fire, and the women knead dough to make cakes for the queen of heaven. And they pour out drink offerings to other what? to other gods, that they provoke me to anger. So in other words, who was this impacting, this idol worship? Was it just the leaders that were being impacted and leading them astray? Was it just the heads of the, the, the households, the, the fathers? According to what I just read, who was involved in this activity? The, the whole family. And, 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 and again... Now, so imagine, so instead of doing work for the true and living God, they're doing things and participating in this idol worship. So the whole household, everyone is being affected by this. Verse 19, and we know again about the Lord through the prophet asking questions. Verse 19, do they provoke me to anger, says the Lord? Do they not provoke themselves to the shame of their own faces? 
So again, not only does it affect their relationship with God, but it's, it, it, it's, it's for their own doom. It's for their own destruction. It's, it's for that. All right, anything you see there in those verses, 16 through 19, that, that stood out to you? Yeah. I thought about the same thing you did. And uh, of course, you know, we're letting kids figure out their own gender now, you know, at, at a young age, a, a five-year-old determining, I want to be this or that, and let the five-year-old call the shots and make decisions, which we wouldn't allow them to in any other context. We wouldn't allow them to make decisions about their bedtime or about what they eat. I mean, because they're five years old. They don't have the wisdom to make that decision. But I was thinking uh, of Little House on the Prairie, uh, you know, when they had Percival and Right? And, and he was Jewish and she wasn't. And the whole debate was how they're going to raise the child. And, and it was fun as this positive thing that, oh, we'll sort of just incorporate the best of both worlds. But as Kim said, there's going to be, even if you don't have an influence, you have an influence. And, and, and imagine that a household for a child where one parent does one thing and the other parent does the complete opposite. Now, look, that happens. Is that a reality sometimes in some households? It is. And so for someone who's a Christian in that situation, you just got to do the best you can. I, you know, I, understand. I mean, there's, there's nothing perfect here. You know, every family has situations, but we certainly can try to avoid this. And we don't often think about how it's going to influence our, our children. And in this case, the children were participating in this. So here are people claiming to be the Lord's people. And not only are they partaking of it. But they're having their children participate in it as well. I just think it's striking, and that stood out to me as well. Uh, yes, Joe? Well, it's, it's, it seems to be such a celebration that they're doing. There's, there's no guilt. There's no, uh, we really shouldn't do this. You know, we know better. It, it, there's none of that here. It, there's total disregard and a celebration of idolatry, and yet it's done supposedly Still asking for it, and isn't that odd? Isn't that strange how they work? Yeah, and 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 Joe makes a really good point, and and that's the point I'll emphasize because he's right. You know, we could sit here and think, "Oh, those people, we we can't believe," but we could do the exact same thing. We could come here and we could proclaim that we're going to follow the Lord, and then in our own personal lives, maybe even things that people don't even know about, we could be involved in all sorts of things that are contrary to what He wants. So, yeah, we just see that human pa uh, pattern being repeated over and over again. No shame. And, and again, it makes you wonder. But they still held on and claimed to be God's people and claimed to follow him, even though their actions are, are communicating something completely different. Anyone else on this section, Bill? Yeah, I was, I was interested in the part about the covenant not to pray. It seems kind of strange and striking. And, 
And you could take it the wrong way and say, oh, okay, well, I guess if this person's evil enough, I will stop praying for them. But I think in the context here, this is God telling them. Uh, and God knows their hearts. I mean, in verse 27, later on in the chapter, he says, you're going to speak these words to them, but they're not going to obey. They're going to call them. They're not going to answer. So he knows the hearts. He knows the response. And the wickedness has been, as you said, very visible. But, you know, we can see wickedness, but we don't necessarily know the heart of the person. They, they might still change. But I also thought about you know, Jeremiah being the, the weeping prophet, and maybe you know, that, that had something to do with it. You know, that God's just saying, look, no, no, no. There's no need to do it because they're not going to change. Uh, I, just, I just found that whole piece kind of interesting. I think that's a good observation. And again, uh, my, my take on that personally, and again, we can disagree. I think Bill said some good points there. But I think, again, since in the context of intercession or prayer for somehow relievement from the judgment that's going to come, that, that's going to happen. Because like you said, remember, he's standing at the gate and they're coming into worship. Even though, as Joy point, Joe pointed out, they're doing all these things. But yet they're going into the temple of the Lord after they're sending their kids out in the streets, after the women are doing all these things to make cakes to the Queen of Heaven, and then they're going to worship after that. Which, again, begs the question, do we do the exact same? If we go out on our own and, and do all sorts of things and then come in here and think that we're going to be fine. Yeah. Well, I just can't help but think of, like, uh, today, where, you know, we have a worship, but then, you know, they, they bring in a, a rock band. They have a rock band playing. And, then, you know, and then they bring in a bodybuilder who presses weights for the Lord, you know, and they turn it into such a circus. And you think, well, isn't that exactly what they've done here? And yet they do it today. In other words, we're worshiping God, and they believe so strongly, and yet they're so far off base that you know, and it's all because of the lack of knowledge, of uh, lack of study, I, and lack of character. To I, really know, to know the truth. Again, I think good points made because I mean we see examples of people's filling stadiums and arenas, and 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 they're there for <laughs> for show. They're there to be entertained. Um, and and again, are they concerned about what? the Lord of hosts once in terms of worship to him. Okay, let's go ahead and move on to verse 20. Therefore, thus says the Lord God, behold, my anger and my fury will be poured out on this place, on man and on beast, on the trees of the field and on the fruit of the ground, and it will burn and not be quenched. All right, so what's being said there? Who's going to be affected by the judgment that the Lord's going to bring forth. Everyone and everything. Right? And, and you know, you might say there, well, uh, well, you know, the, the, the beast, and, you know, the, these, these feel, I mean, they didn't do anything, but, but that, again, that's the consequence of what's going to take place. And it just reminds us of how um, horrific this is going to be when Babylon comes in. You know, we, we know about the destruction of the temple. I mean, it, they're just going to come in on this level Everything, and, and it's going to be made a desolate place. And I was just thinking about where it says, and will burn and not be quenched. And again, this is in a different context, but we just talked about this on, on Sunday. And actually, I don't think we did because we, no, we didn't get to it on Sunday. But First Thessalonians chapter 5, it says, do not quench the spirit. Now, of course, that means that we're not to put out the fire or quench the teaching that God gives us through the Holy Spirit. But, and this is different use, but this is not going to be quenched in terms of the judgment of the Lord that's going to come. 
And, and, and so again, it's, it's going to happen. Verse 21, thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, add your burnt offerings to your sacrifices and eat meat. For I did not speak to your fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of the land of Egypt concerning burnt offerings or sacrifices. Now, is he going to require burnt offerings and sacrifices later on? Is the Lord going to require that? Yes. But, but what's being said here, just so we understand? Initially, when they're going to be brought out of Egypt, is that going to be the emphasis? No, it's going to be more generic than that, right? It's going to be more simple than that. And, and I want you to, to pay attention to what's going to be said here. Verse 23. But this is what I commanded them. Now remember, this is the Lord speaking to Jeremiah. But this is what I commanded them saying, Obey my voice, and I will be your God, and you shall be my people. And walk in all the ways that I have commanded you, that it may be well with you. So let's go back to Joe's point about, you know, a circus and people doing all these things. Okay? If we're trying to uh, obey God, is there something we can take here that we can apply to us today? Is it simple? What do we do? Now, we know that Christ is necessary. We know that. Because, and, and why do we know that we have to repent and be baptized for remission of sins? We're cl it clearly says. Is it optional? Was it optional on the day of Pentecost? It was something that was taught to them. And they responded to it, right? Okay, so if we just get the principle of obey my voice and I will be your God, you should be my people, that principle, and walk in the ways that I have commanded you that it may be well with you. Now, of course, we go back to Isaiah chapter 1, right? Were they still offering sacrifices? <laughs> they continued the sacrifices, but what weren't they doing? They weren't obeying his commands. So therefore, what does the Lord tell him in Isaiah 1 about the sacrifices? They're worthless. Stop. You know, you're not doing the basics, the fundamentals. We can't move on to the details until we get the fundamentals down. And so if we never come to the point where we're willing to submit and listen and obey what's commanded to us and have that relationship with God, which is only possible for us through Christ, then we can't get to the details. Now let me ask you this. Can we as disciples or Christians get really good in doctrine and the details, but forget the basics? And if we do so, are we going to be acceptable? I mean, I might be able to tell you about marriage, divorce, remarriage. I could tell you all sorts of doctrines and things, but maybe I don't have the love for the brethren I need to have. Maybe I'm not doing the work that God wants me to do. But, 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 I, but I know what the Bible teaches. I'm sound in doctrine, and I won't be persuaded that way. Is that enough? I think it's important for us to remember, again, what we're commanded. And, and, and what did Jesus himself say? If you love me, what? Keep my commands. Spoken from Christ himself. Play your God. Well, it kind of reminds me of what it says in James about being doers of the word. You know, it's important that we something and that we live the life of the disciple and knowing yeah knowing the truth is important we need to be able to know those things but we have to live it as well and so it's kind of like you know i find myself uh you know since we've been taking on more of a role of preaching uh i've been finding myself in my prayers you know asking for the wisdom to be able to develop the lessons but also 
understand that I need to practice these things as well. Because it can be really easy, I think, to preach and to say, okay, we got these are things you need to do and not apply it to yourself. A lot, a lot of us, I think, we're good at that. Sometimes we start with ourselves. Um, but it's just uh, something I've been thinking about a lot more lately since I've been on the other side of the pulpit a little bit more. Well, it's a lot easier to preach to do it. It's like, and it's also easy to tell other people to do it to do yourself, right? Because, because again, well, we don't we don't judge ourselves always correctly, and that's why Paul says we can't judge ourselves, right? We have we have to look in what God's word is into evidence. Yes. That reminds me of Revelation as he talks about the Church of Ephesus, but of all the great works that they did. But we talk going back to the basics. Christ was and their love for Christ and their motivations for doing these things. And you talk about going back to the basics. Well, and, and I, I think that's a good point because I think, and I've heard of uh, congregations and all of us have had experiences where, where you get these battles, where you go through things in your personal life, whether it be health issues or disease, and, and you forget because again, you're just overwhelmed. And, and, and you're so busy trying to deal with problems. You forget again the blessings you have and, and the responsibilities you have. So, so, so I think uh, what Joe cited, and we take a look at all the churches in the book of Revelation, seven churches, and each of the different problems, and, and the fact that they were expected to correct those problems. And remember the example that Joe gives the, the Ephesians were applauded for, for, for standing up for the truth. But I, I still have this against you, and they were expected to correct it. And remember, what was the context of the book of Revelation? What, what were those Christians going to face in Ephesus? They're going to face persecution, right? And again, Ephesus is interesting anyway because we know the battles that they went through. We know about all one of these knowledge. We know their history. And again, that, that makes it interesting as well. And that's a really good point. Anyone else so far through this verse? All right, continuing on. So again, if, if we get nothing else tonight, and again, is this something basic that anyone can understand? So let's say we, we talk to someone and they say, no, I'm follow God. Is this something simple that we can teach? And then obviously, you know, we connect to Christ because that's the way, that's the way to God. And that's the way to salvation. That's important for us to remember. Verse 24, yet they did not obey or incline their ear. And now notice this. What, what are they going to follow here? What's it say? But follow the counsels and dictates of their evil what? Hearts. Okay, so, so, so who are they listening to? They're, they're trusting themselves, right? And again, you know, we've talked about the same, you know, let, let the conscience be your guide. What, what's, what's the problem with that concept? The conscience be your guide? Might not be said properly. The conscience could be wrong, right? So, you know. I can have a navigation system. Have you ever done this? This happened to me recently. Where, where you ask Siri, you ask to navigate somewhere, and then it it has something of a similar name, and it, it puts you way off. So, so I asked at this restaurant, and I started driving out realizing it, and then I realized that it was driving me 3,000 miles away to a restaurant <laughs> of the same name like the East Coast. So I, I hope I will figure it out eventually, you know, <laughs> after a while. But, but that's because it's simple. And, 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 you know, we, we don't get the Bible credit sometimes for all these sayings of men that are, are rooted in the Bible, like, you know, the blind and the blind, all these different phrases. 
Well, tell me if you've heard this one before. And went backward, not forward. I haven't heard that type of thing before, right? You know, uh, we're, we're not progressing. Now, it's interesting because, again, uh, and I want you to notice the change here. I've mentioned this before briefly. I'm just shooting this for to, to illustrate something, not because, again, I want to get caught in politics. But was the term progressive in politics 100 years ago? Was the term progressive, did it mean the same thing 100 years ago that it means today? To progress society. So what was it 100 years ago politically in this country, progressive? Well, we need to get rid of alcohol. We need to get rid of prostitution. We need to get rid of gambling, right? Is that the progressive agenda today? No, the way we progress is, you know, we just go, anything goes. And, and, and it's interesting. And, and, and did you notice, by the way, and have you ever thought about this? Uh, how, how many of you are old enough to remember the term progressive not being used for the left or for the left? How many of you remember that? How many of you just thought about this? It's like we said that. We started calling ourselves progressives. And by the way, is that a nice PR trick? See, well, well, I don't want to be against progress. So, you know, I, I want to be on the progressive side because if you're not on the progressive, what does that mean? Oh, you must be standing in progress. And, and I just thought about that in terms of, now, did they have the information before, not backward? Now, remember in the context here, right? When the Lord uses the example of the commandments, okay? Go back to verse 22. For I did not speak to the fathers or command them in the day that I brought them out of where? The land of what? Egypt. Now, do you remember? How many days should it have taken them to leave Egypt and go into the promised land? How many days should it have taken? A lot of days. How long did it take So, So that phrase, going back or not forward, did it apply to his people when they left Egypt? Why did it take four years? I mean... Again, and this has been illustrated, you look up for yourself a map, and you can see it's sort of direct. So, so, so what happened? Because they refused to, to listen to God and did their own thing. Right? And, and, and by the way, another phrase that we use in the world, that, that's learning the one way. The hard way, right? I mean, you know, and again, you try to impress this by young people. You don't have to go through all this. You can learn from what other people, oh no, I gotta learn from myself. That's another thing that we sort of talk about. So then we're going back and not forward. Any comments of what? You know, I was thinking about this when it talks about the, the dictates of their evil hearts and, and and how, you know, we could kind of think, well, I'm not evil. I don't do evil things. But if we're standing at odds with something that God says is true, then we're following the dictate of something evil. You know, and, and I, I think sometimes uh, people don't really recognize that. Because, you know, you talk to people who maybe have fallen away from the Lord and said, well, we're not people, we do good things, we're good people. Um, but yet they have turned their back on the Lord and have followed the dictates of their evil heart. And we say, well, that's, that's such a harsh thing to say. But if it's opposed to God and what His commandments are and what He wishes, because He has all authority, then it's not right. That's just, that's just one of those things I was thinking about. And, and, and who defines what is their people? God. It has to be God. There's nothing else. And again, so when, when someone, when I get in conversation with someone and they impose some moral judgment, and I know that they have no belief in God, I say, you can't. You can't I use their phrase on You can't judge me. 
I said, what makes this your judgment? And, and, and then they thought, well, well, because what the majority thinks of men? Well, then, then you're citing a philosophy of men. And so again, it goes without principle. If there's no God, what should we do? If there's no resurrection, then I'm living right now. See it. You know, because eat, drink, and be merry from all you got. They're, they're, in other words, and, and again, that's an influence that we need to see. Relativism. Everything's relative, right? Nothing's ever said. We progress, we change in time. And by the way, that, that's been the whole evolutionary model. That somehow we're going to evolve as a species, so we're evolving in terms of moral. Well, again, who defines what's good or bad in that situation? So the place right. And, and going down that, where the dictates the hearts, it also says, but follow the counsels and dictates the people hearts. So, so what's a counselor supposed to do if you have a counselor? Uh, how many of you remember high school counselor? How many of you have a good high school counselor? Some people might have a good high school right? But what's a counselor supposed to do? It's supposed to be advice and guide you into the proper way, right? And, and here, uh, not, there's no check and balance on once you see that too. If, if we don't have someone else verifying the information and we're just going off on our own, then we're just falling under our own list and we can get side of this Anyone else on that list? Yeah. I really just like that that thought about they went backward and not forward. I know you know Bill talks about this a lot in general. It's just you know you're either growing or you're you're, you're falling. They're not. There is no comfort zone. I think it's so nice to think though. Oh, I'm checking the boxes. I'm coming to church. I'm sitting in the pew. I'm here. I'm good. I'm in the club. You know, but that's not what God wants us to do. He wants us to keep growing. And if we're not, you know, daily causing ourselves to think things and, and grow, then we are falling backwards. There is no, uh, you know, that they were obviously really falling backwards. They were relying completely on their own thoughts and desires completely. But I think we can even be in danger of that when we aren't causing ourselves to stir our minds as to how we can grow. We can be comfortable, we can put it in neutral, we can sort of cruise. And uh, I couldn't help but think about this this morning when I was making the team run for like an hour. Um, because they, they did so well yesterday, they really went backward. But enough of that. Verse 25. Since the day that your fathers came out of the land of Egypt until this day, I have even sent to you all my what? Servants and prophets, daily rising up early and sending them. So in other words, what's the Lord reminding them here? You've been trying to help them, right? Have you ever known an individual? And it doesn't have to be in a religious context. It could just be, you know, anybody. People like the play, you know, and students or whatever. But when you try to help them, you try to have multiple people help them, and, and they just refuse. They simply refuse. Now, now, how important was it for the Lord to send these servants and prophets? When does it say that they were getting up to do their work? Daily. So, so, so it's not just like once a week or every check or even a month. Daily rising up early and sending them. So what does that indicate? If, if, if we rise up early and do something, what does that indicate about that task? It must be important. It's a priority. And again, I just think of this principle about what's the first thing I do when I get up? Can I direct my mind to set a whole day when I get up that's going to be devoted to the Lord and something? To get my mind right for the whole day. Yeah. And again, that's just, just a thought suggestion. Verse 26. Yes, 
Hold on, take your stick again. Get it for a second. Yet they did not do what? What's it say? And, and, and when I say this sometimes, I apologize because New King James, I wouldn't reverse this. You might say, well, I didn't say They did not what? Obey me or incline their ear. And we've seen this before. But what did they do? But stiffened their neck. And what does that indicate? What do they stiffened their neck? Stubborn is embracing himself, right? The calcifer is, you know, stiffen our neck, but we're going to refuse it. And, and then it's interesting because, again, uh, what do we know about their ancestors? Did their ancestors do right? No, they had some problems, right? Remember what we studied earlier when we're being compared to, to Israel, to the Roman tribes, as a sister relationship? And do you remember what it says? You did worse than your sister did. Early in the book of Jeremiah, what does it say here? They did what? Worse than their fathers. So, so again, and, and, and now I'm going to ask you this. Why are they worse than their fathers? What's the difference here? They're both evil. They're both sad. So why is it worse than what the fathers did? It's not what happened. They have all this history and they're still doing it. So, how many of you agree that sort of makes it worse? Right? I mean, they have all these examples to work from, and yet they, they did not work. So I was thinking again about generations and generations of Lord's people and the cycles that it's gone through. And, uh, well, I, I don't want it, to, it's a secret. So, but, you know, Brother McKay, Jim McKay's going to have a birthday come on. So don't go call him and say, you know. But, but I think about, for example, someone like him and being an elder. And the different things he's seen and the experience of wisdom he has and the battles he's fought, which we don't necessarily think of right now, right? We take, like, for example, uh, how many of you know here in Ontario that, and again, you can talk about this, you know, there was a point where they were debating orphan's homes way back. If that was an issue, you might say orphan's homes. Some might say, well, I don't even see a problem with it, <laughs> right? Because that's not a battle that your generation is, is at the face. Or, you know, the second serving of the Lord's Supper on, on Sunday night and how that was associated with wartime. You know, we haven't been through World War I, World War II. We have no idea what previous generations have gone through. And, and I'm including myself here. I'm not just talking to the other people. You know? so, so again, we can forget, but we should be able to learn from their experiences what they went through. And, and, and that's one of the reasons why it's important to really value the wisdom of those who are older and wise in the Lord and learn from their experiences. I, I just try to soak that up because, again, of all the things they've seen and been through and done, and I think it's sort of fascinating. So I just wanted to point out again the generations, but we see that cycle again and again and again. Now, now here's the thing. Do, do, are we going to succeed or fail based on a previous generation? They can help us succeed, but are we do to fail? We don't have to, right? I mean, you know, we, we don't have to. We can work from it. But then it's our choice. Isn't that not what we do? Okay, anything through uh, verse 26. Okay, verse 27. Therefore you shall speak, what's it say? All these words to them. Now I want you to be Jeremiah for a second. Do you think some of these words would be uncomfortable saying to people? Especially as they're going into the temple? What kind of response do you think the people who are engaged in these activities are going to have? 
I think they say, oh, thank you, Jeremiah, thank you so much for pointing that out to me. I didn't you know. Is that going to be the response? We know the response. Because what's going to happen to Jeremiah later? He's going to be put in prison. And what's going to happen to him at the end? He's going to be sent to Egypt. He's going to be exiled, right? So, and, and yet, he is given the task. He's a young man here, and he's reminded over and over again. Therefore, you shall speak all these words to them. And as Bill pointed out earlier, what does it say next? But they will not what? But they will not obey you. You shall also call to them, but they will not answer you. So again, you know, we hear messages falling on deaf ears. Verse 28. So you shall say to them, This is a nation that does not obey the voice of the Lord their God, nor receive correction. Truth has perished and has been cut off from the mouth. Cut off your hair and cast it away. Take up a lamentation on the desolate heights. For the Lord has rejected and forsaken the generation of his wrath. So, so what's he telling them to do there? Now they're not going to listen anymore. But what should they do? They should be born. Right? Now, now, now what book is connected with Jeremiah? Lamentations. Right? And so as we go through the study, we're going to go to Lamentations. And if you haven't done so, you need to read it and just put it in a sense. You know, I've been thinking of, you know, all, so many of you have been praying for, for shame, you know, praying groups and things like that, and so you really understand that. Re- really put yourself in their shoes about mourning what's happened to your homeland that's been desolate. Mourning the fact that you've been taken into a foreign land in the Babylon. Mourning the fact that remember the older generation, I mean, you know, they remember the temple. And they're not going to see the temple for the rest of their lives. And we talked about Ezra, those who were still alive or remember what the old temple was, remember the emotional reaction, we talked about that before. But try to put yourself in, in those things. Because they might not be lamenting now, but are they going to lament at some point when people are still alive? They certainly don't, right? Just like if you think there's going to be regret in the day of judgment for the choices people have made. Do you think it's going to become a reality and become crystal clear about what's taking place? That's why it's important for us right now to make sure that we're good now and not leave it to that at that time. We don't know what's going to happen. It goes to coming out of the people tonight, whether it's return to war or any more lives. All right. Uh, verse 30. For the children of Judah have done evil in my sight, says the Lord. That goes back to what we said earlier, what Clay said about defining evil. They have set their abominations in the house which is called by my name to pollute it. Okay, so, so, so where were they entering when, when Jeremiah gave this message? In the temple. What were they going to the temple to do? To worship. What is the Lord saying they've done in this temple of his house here? What have they done to it? They polluted it. It says they have set their abominations in this house, which is called by my name to pollute. Alright? And, and, and think about that for a moment. Now, there's all sorts of things that we're not going to get to tonight. And, you know, about Tophet and uh, Tophet and all these places and, and all these things. All you need to know is it's near Jerusalem, this valley, and you can talk about Vienna and all these connections that take place there. Again, we're not going to get that night. But 
example, who are they sacrificing to? Do you remember the God, the one God? Moloch. And who are they sacrificing? Babies, children. Okay? Is, is, is that offensive? Well, well, here it is in 2022. Oh, I can't believe they did that. And yet, what national debate do we have in our country? Right now? I don't even dance now. I'm just a second about that. Right? Although we've progressed, we've progressed so much, it seems to me we're doing the same type of thing we did 2,000 years ago. As people. And I say we, I'm not talking about us specifically, I'm talking about generic. Alright, verse 31. They have built the high places of Topet, which is the valley of the son of Hinnom, to burn their sons and their daughters in the fire, which I did not love. I did not command them. Notice this. Have you ever heard people accuse God of things? Like, oh, in the Old Testament, it, it authorizes uh, sacrifice of children. Have you ever heard that thing before? Okay, well, what does it say next? Nor did it what? Come into my heart. So again, people, you know, so um, I know there's a, a passage that uh, my daughters and Dylan were talking about uh, recently. And, and what it is, it's at the end of Judges. And it's talking about, again, what happened. It, it's not even commentary saying, well, God authorized this. It's recording what happened. And we have to be able to distinguish between what God authorizes and, you know, in other words, we get the whole truth with the Bible, don't we? We, we get what actually took place and what happened. And, and, and again, some people want to say, well, it's in there, so therefore God just thinks it's okay. No, it doesn't mean that at all. And that's, it's ridiculous to come to that type of conclusion. All right, anything in that section there that you saw on the comment? Well, we're getting we're rather than one through this tonight. I don't know what's going on. Okay? And I'm going to go back uh, next week and talk about the rest of this. So let's get through the rest of the chapter, but I want to go back and talk about the cross-references you probably would a lot of So let's go to, uh, let's see, verse 32. Therefore, behold, the days are coming, says the Lord, when it shall no more be called Tophet, or the valley of the son of Hinnom, but the valley of what? Slaughter. For they will bury in Tophet until there is no room. Boy, boy, this is a gruesome sight, isn't it? I mean, this, doesn't this give you a picture of what the judgment's going to be like? Uh, yeah, because sometimes we can talk, for example, about, oh yeah, 78 AD Jerusalem. How many of you have, have taken a look at the accounts before, the historical accounts of what took place in 78 AD? How horrific it was. Uh, people start dying of starvation, cannibalism, mass death that took place. And when we get a sense of what it's going to be like here, look at verse 33. The corpses of his people will be food for the birds of the heaven and the beasts of the earth, and no one will frighten them away. Then I will cause to cease from the cities of Judah and from the streets of Jerusalem the voice of mirth and the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, for the land shall be desolate. All right, so any thoughts? On those verses there. So, 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 how significant, how powerful is this judgment going to be? The captivity, the seven years of captivity, the people. Do you get a different sense? I mean, sometimes you just get a sense like you know, oh, they just loaded them up and took them to Babylon, and no one was hurt. Everything is so all the same. Is that what took place? It is gruesome. Now, when we talk about the Assyrians and the Northern Kingdom. 
was that person. Yeah, and could they have learned from that what was going to take place? Sure. So, so again, it's important for us to, to think about that. All right, anything from chapter 7? We're not actually chapter 8. Okay, we're not going to. Go ahead, Sorry. No, no, I'm glad. <laughs> I'm glad because I didn't know. Yeah. My notes were in the cell. We've, we've said this before, but just uh, kind of thinking about this entire chapter again. Uh, verse 28, it kind of caught me again. It says that verse, truth has perished and has been cut off from their mouth. And I think, okay, their mouth, what's coming out of their mouth, and what's that a reflection of? It's what's on their heart, it's on their mind. And it's just, it keeps coming back, at least in my mind, the same basic thing. It actually goes back to what you, you talked about earlier in the chapter, you said, in verse 23, just how simple it is, right? Just to hear, to obey my voice. It, it really is simple. We complicate it, you know, but it, it really is simple. What is on my heart? What's on my mind? And in my I constantly, it takes action to put those things on And by, by truly thinking and dwelling and meditating about who God is and what He's doing, just, you don't get a, a sense that these people have any thankfulness or regard for what God is. Well, and real quick, if we simplify it, if we follow Christ, does that simplify things? If we say, no matter what comes, what, I'm going to follow Christ. Does that simplify things for us? Tell you real quick, you're not I was just saying that, that with, with this uh, powerful language at the end of this chapter, you know, God doesn't enjoy this. The people have made this choice themselves. And it's, it's kind of like people today will argue, well, how could God be so cruel as to condemn people in hell? That's not a loving book. God has shown so much grace and love to people. And the reason, the only reason that people are going to take that is because they reject it. And just like the gospel, God repeats it over and over and over again. And that's why we are given the responsibility to take the gospel and tell people what Christ did and get them to think about it. Again, to magnify it. So he's reached out. And again, we talked about how long he gave them to repent. It, it didn't just happen overnight because he's very patient. But again, it doesn't quite bear judgment. All right, well, clear cut. We'll start with Jeremiah chapter 8 next week, but I will go back and talk a little bit about that area and some things real quick. I'll probably put out PowerPoint to because there's a lot of interesting New Testament connections to that. Chapter 8 next week.